0: You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show. We're going to do things a little bit differently today. You've just got myself, Clancy Overall, in here. We think it is fair time that the Batuta Advocate uh, make our editorial position on the upcoming federal referendum uh, public. It's obviously a big issue, a topic that is causing a culture war to rage in both media and political commentary around the country. Um, And it is fair time that the Batuta Advocate drew a line in the sand ourselves and outlined our newspaper's position on this referendum. And you'll have to excuse me as I uh, list off these top six points made by our newspaper because I've Somewhat lost my voice because I've spent the weekend cutting piss and talking shit in the uh, beautiful, beautiful tropics of far north Queensland, surrounded by the cattle and cane. Now, in case you haven't been across the news lately, Australia's media pundits and political commentators are mortified by the Albanese government's decision to hold a national referendum over whether or not we should include Aboriginal people in the Constitution. There's also been a great deal of scepticism surrounding the idea of providing Aboriginal community leaders with a platform to advise politicians on their unique socio-economic issues and offer strategies that might help mitigate the very visible rates of disadvantage and near third world suffering we see in Aboriginal communities. While the concept of the Indigenous voice does seem like an unprecedented approach to these issues, especially for our traditionally risk-adverse nation, the government has clearly indicated that this advisory body will not have any veto powers over Australian lawmaking or tradition and will serve only as an advisory body. So why does the media and the conservative political class seem to be so furiously opposed to it? Well, let us explain that. It's a real head-scratcher, actually, especially when considering that the Liberal Party and the News Corp, of which, of course, is... You know, led and directed by Rupert Murdoch and his son Lachlan, who, you know, have control of 70% of the Australian media landscape. They were, both of them, the opposition, the federal opposition, and the News Corp News Limited journalists and media machine were some of the loudest champions of the Uluru Statement, which, of course, is the founding document that this referendum has been modelled off. So let us explain why the Indigenous voice is not a good thing. Let us, at the Batuta Advocate, that is. With the debate now at a hysterical point where the misinformation is spreading like wildfire and you can see the racist slurs being plastered all across social media, the Batuta Advocate has decided to cut through the culture wars and present five fair and balanced reasons why the Indigenous voice is a bad idea without resorting to the aforementioned dirty tactics that we are seeing from the official No campaign. Now, please be aware that this article does contain vivid references to the historic and traumatic mistreatment of Aboriginal people. Reason number one. A successful referendum result will cause irreversible damage to our political landscape. And what I mean is not only would this chalk up an easy win for the Albanese government, but it would also push the Australia we once knew into irrelevance. Are we really that eager to erase the legacies of Tony Abbott, Malcolm Turnbull and Scott Morrison by implementing such a big change within the first year of Liberals losing office? A successful referendum will lead Australians to question the very point of having an opposition, of having a Liberal Party or a National Party, not to mention the newspapers who campaigned heavily for the re-election of Scott Morrison. Do we really want to live in a world where our major media companies get it wrong all the time? In order for us to keep the conservative political class in the picture, we need to give them an easy win. The opposition and the Murdoch media were once all for an Indigenous voice, as I said before, but only when it looked like it was something they could claim as their own idea. Now things have changed. The referendum is now a chance for Dutton and Murdoch to get vengeance for last year's humiliating election result. It's a last-ditch effort to delay the imminent identity crisis that threatens their very own existence. After losing 20 seats in 2022, they're going all in in reframing this referendum as the silent majority finally speaking up. It's no longer about effectively or even thinking about trying to help solve issues in the Indigenous community. It is now it's now something completely different. And they will celebrate their hollow victory like it is a Brexit moment. You'll hear those words uh, as we get closer to the date. But yes, for this conservative political establishment, the political class, the political elites, uh, whatever you want to call them, it is even sweeter that they get to use black people, black fellas, as the punching bag in their efforts to chalk up a few political points against the people that took their jobs and took them out of office. Now, that's reason number one. Reason number two as to why the Indigenous voice is a bad idea, you just can't keep changing things. It has to stop somewhere. We all remember the gay marriage plebiscite, the ridiculous and hurtful experiment that humiliated both sides of the debate and tore families apart. Religious Australians were ridiculed for their beliefs, and the LGBTI community had their very existence put to a vote. I mean, luckily, the Indigenous voice referendum is nothing like the gay marriage plebiscite, mostly because our media appears to be intent on only presenting us one side of the debate. Sure, we get to hear from Aboriginal people, but we only hear from three of them. We've got Jacinta Price, Warren Mundine and Lydia Thorpe. Three very different people, but with one relatively similar position. It just happens to be the same position shared by our major newspapers, our mining companies and the federal opposition. But the key difference between The Voice and the gay marriage plebiscite is that in 2017, the gays had far more stake in Australian society than the disproportionately disadvantaged Indigenous people have ever had. There is no generational wealth being tipped into this referendum campaign from the Yes campaigners or for any of their supporters. The Indigenous Voice campaign is run off pro bono man hours and the smell of an oily rag in their battle against the conservative political establishment and Australia's billionaire media families. In contrast... The fabulous and all-saturating marriage equality campaign was heavily funded by the same pink dollar that we see pouring in from the same corporations and organisations that turn our cities into rainbow wonderlands every Mardi Gras and every Pride Month. The best that the Indigenous voice will get is some novelty NRL jerseys and maybe a few pamphlets, maybe a few volunteers, but it just does not compare to the last time we went around. In short, Alan Joyce gets his white wedding, but it's best that the Aboriginals stay where they belong because we can't keep changing things. The Batuta Advocate's third reason why the Indigenous voice is a bad idea, the Indigenous voice might cause our government to receive conflicting advice. An Indigenous voice could very well mean that our politicians receive advice from people who aren't mining lobbyists and private prison corporations, gambling lobbyists, media owners, anyone who basically has a free pass into the halls of Parliament House, and there's a lot of them, and we know that they spend a lot of time in there, It is a completely different thing. We can change our constitution all we want, but the real problem is when we change how things work in Canberra. Do we want to add more people into the mix? There's a very real threat that the voice poses to the political class and their biggest donors. The voice in itself is nothing more than a system that provides Aboriginal people with their own lobbyists from their own communities to advise our politicians on the efforts and laws that could minimise Indigenous disadvantage. But the fact that these Aboriginal people could be walking the same halls of Parliament with the very well-paid mining and industrial prison complex lobbyists would scare the shit out of our government's corporate stakeholders, a.k.a. the billionaires that our politicians would traditionally take orders from. There's adding more people there for them to take orders from or take advice from. The existing lobbyists do not want our politicians hearing conflicting advice. Imagine how inconvenient it could be if we had an elder down there Walking the halls of Parliament House who managed to convince enough politicians to implement successful strategies to keep young men out of prison. What does that mean for the multinational corporation that's halfway through building a private prison in Perth? They might just not have enough young blacks to fill it with. And that is a problem for the existing corporate stakeholders and the existing lobbyists. An Indigenous voice would provide alternative lobbyists who might get in the way of certain interests. Now, that's number three. Number four on the Batuta Advocates list of reasons why the Indigenous voice is a bad idea is the Indigenous voice might mean we have to confront our own history. Now, this is a heavy one. As anyone who has had the pleasure of being educated in a demountable Australian classroom would know, the accepted version of Australian history basically starts at the arrival of Captain Cook. Fast forwards to the gold rush. We fast forward again to the beaches of Gallipoli. And then we fast forward again to the Sydney Olympics. You might hear a little bit about the Burma Railway, you might hear a little bit about Kokoda. you certainly don't hear anything about Vietnam and that's the way we like our history. We definitely don't want to talk about the horrors of the Cootamundra Girls' Home or the gruesome massacres of open season. Australia's education system and our political system is not in the business of confronting our own historical atrocities. Leave that to the Japanese and the Germans, you know, they're the ones who should be saying sorry. One of the key missions of an Indigenous voice, however, is to confront the very real issues that stem from our government and the British government's historic mistreatment of Aboriginal people. A hundred years of unhelpful and in many circumstances, genocidal government policies have caused traumatic ripple effects that are still visible to this day. It's all a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? It's almost worth not talking about. Uh, Because it does make you feel a certain kind of way. You might have heard about the stolen generation, but then again, you might have heard Andrew Bolt's version. Andrew Bolt from Sky News, of course. His version is one that alleviates Australia of any real guilt and insists it was a good idea to kidnap an entire generation of children based on their race, strip them of their culture, and leave them to be raised out of sight by abusive priests and pedophile dorm wardens in religious and government-run institutions. That's why the no campaign is starting to get aggressive and that's why they're starting to peddle misinformation. It's a way of filling that deep black hole of guilt and sadness that doesn't have to exist if we militantly deny it. It's far easier for the Australian psyche to tell ourselves lies about them getting billions of dollars of funding and free houses and free cars and free university and and squandering it because that's what they do. It's a lot easier to tell ourselves that. That's reason number four. Reason number five on the Batuta Advocates' top six reasons why the Indigenous voice is a bad idea is that the Indigenous voice advisory body would put Australians out of work. You hear a lot about the many thousands of bureaucrats employed in services roles, aimed at helping the lives of Aboriginal people. You hear a lot about how much money gets spent on their fruitless efforts as well. Now, while a lot of this rhetoric is usually greatly exaggerated by racists as we mentioned before, trying to fill that void of sadness and guilt, it would be a lie to suggest that public service don't have a reputation for bludging in this space. We've all got one in the family. We've all got the blue-haired cousin who came back from the territory with a skid name and photos of them hugging other people's children on Instagram. Well, the problem is, eventually, that blue-haired cousin becomes a policy advisor and ends up joining a chain of communication that could include up to five, six, or seven different white saviour bureaucrats that dilute both the urgency and the lived experiences that Aboriginal people are trying to convey to politicians every day and they feel like no one's listening. It's because too many people are listening, one by one. It's Chinese whispers. By the time the issues from these communities make their way to Parliament, they have been tweaked, banged up and bent out of shape by the resin jewelry bleeding hearts that would be unemployable in any other sector. I am sorry to everyone's blue-haired cousin for saying that. But if someone told you that an Indigenous voice could slash both those things, greatly reducing the amount of idealistic middlemen from the equation, while also stemming the flow of public money aimed at keeping these bloated organisations afloat, what would you say? Because that's what an Indigenous advisory body would aim to achieve, putting the elders in the same room with the decision makers, putting community leaders in the same room as the decision makers, making sure they come from a vast and uh, diverse range of communities with a diverse and vast range of issues, because we all know that one size does not fit all in any political strategy. That's what they're trying to achieve. The same way agricultural bodies get access to Barnaby Joyce, and the same way mining bodies get access to Mark Canavan, and the same way that rock bands and film executives get access to Tony Burke. It's just about giving the Aboriginal people lobbyists, which they've never had, because they are a disadvantaged community, the most disadvantaged community in our country, and they are not a corporation, and they are not running on record margin profits. But you would think they are, given the amount of people employed in the sector, and that's what the Indigenous Voice aims to minimise. It would eliminate the need for a vast majority of the deadwood currently employed in the sector, and could very well see real and immediate results in community. Now, wouldn't that just be so typical of Anthony Albanese to gleefully put thousands of people under work? That's reason five, that the voice to parliament is a bad idea. Lastly, we've got reason number six. And reason number six is maybe we don't want things to change at all. We've already outlined the historical horrors. We don't need to delve into the intergenerational trauma, the substance abuse, and worse, the incarceration rates for Indigenous people that actually rival South Africa, but is fixing these things what we really want to do? Like, even if it works, do we really want it to work? What happens to everybody else at the bottom of the system if Aboriginal people find a path that works for them? Is Australian society solely dependent on us having to look down on someone or have someone to hate? A resoundingly positive referendum result would mean we need to find a new bottom of the pile. And the next cab off the rank, as we know, is the rural white working class a.k.a. the bogans, a.k.a. rednecks, or whatever our media and politicians want to call them whenever they occasionally become a political inconvenience to the system themselves. Does our government have to look after them too? What's next? We have to solve the ice epidemic that is thriving in the same electorates that have wielded the most political power for the last 10 years of governments. We have to stop sending young men to die in pointless American wars. If we start looking after the poor white fellows, then the National Party might actually have to improve the lives of their most loyal voters. Will the Liberal Party have to actually listen to the National Party? Will we have to remove asbestos from the roofs of our public schools? Will we need to make sure there's a doctor available to deliver babies west of the Great Dividing Range? When you think about it, the Indigenous voice could be the start of a landslide. Imagine a world where we have wage increases that actually match the cost of living. Imagine a government being forced to ensure Australians are entitled to affordable housing. All Australians. All Australians. Imagine a country where all Australians are entitled to affordable childcare. Imagine reliable public transport for all Australians. Imagine a humane standard of aged care. This actually isn't the direction we want to head in. In summary, just vote. No, don't touch anything. Don't do anything. Everything is fine. And that's it. That's our position on the upcoming federal election regarding the constitutional recognition of Aboriginal people and the subsequent Indigenous voice to Parliament. Thank you for listening to our very first crack at Talkback Radio. That's what it's actually ended up sounding like. So, um, yeah, thanks for that. Hooroo.